little. <laughs> Did you like that? That's hello. my. I can't. I don't even. Hello. Hello. I can't even do it. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I am good. How are you, listeners? You can't answer. I'm, I hope you're good. I want you to know that I literally paused and was like waiting for a response. The same way um, Blue's Clues. You know what? Yeah. That's, yeah. I was waiting Blue's for you to answer. Clues, or Dora the Explorer. Uh, yeah. Don't get me started on Dora. I can't stand her. Oh, I can't either. Um, oh, my mom, dist- when I was young, uh, my mom destroyed my hair because she insisted I have a perm but my hair is very resistant to those sorts of things. (laughs) She tried perming my hair three times in a row, fried it so bad we had to chop it all off, and then this horrible little bastard on my school bus called me Dora the Explorer for a year. (laughs) You are... You do not look anything like Dora. And that's what I told. I was like, you know I'm Asian, right? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Dora. I was like, okay. Oh, just another okay. example of how kids can be so cruel. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, anyway. What do you have for me today? I have something. I think I mentioned this last week. I have something a little different. I don't think we've ever done one of these before. Okay. Um, I have an arsonist. Ooh, I, we haven't done arsonists before? I don't think we've, I think we have done murderers who commit arson, but this is an arsonist. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I just kind of stumbled on this one. The story seemed kind of interesting. Okay. Um, and it, it turns into, uh, it's fun at the end. I'll call it fun. We'll see okay. if we call it fun. Okay, um, I'm good. So um, I think you and I several times actually have talked about social media and how social media has really influenced like information flow, especially in recent years. I mean, you're an example. You use TikTok for inspiration on your cases all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do. But I think one thing that the country is a little bit more aware of um, also because of social media is um, wildfire season over here on the West Coast. I feel like everybody is really aware yeah. of wildfire season, especially in California. Uh, yeah. So when I would go see my grandparents during the summer and they lived in, uh, in Southern California in Escondido and every single summer, the hillside behind their uh, neighborhood would catch on fire and we would be evacuated every summer. Yep. Yeah. And the winds, when the winds pick up too, holy yeah. moly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they call them um, the devil winds, I think is what they call them. Um, it's a specific time of year where it's just, it's California, it's dry, but then these, uh, these really concentrated winds pick up and it creates this really dry environment where fires just catch and spread very, very easily. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So this story starts in the 1980s in the Los Angeles area. Okay. In the 1980s, starting in the 1980s, there was a series of fires being set that was causing millions of dollars of damage in especially the Los Angeles area. The first of these fires um, occurred on October 10th, 1984. There was an Olds Home Center, which was a hardware store. 
Um, and it was in a shopping plaza. So one of those, like the big parking lot with the stores all around it. Mm -hmm. And this was in Pasadena, California. Oh, okay. A large fire broke out in this hardware store. By the time firefighters arrived, the building was already pretty much destroyed. And unfortunately, four people ended up dying in this fire. Oh, no. And I'm sure there was a lot of stuff in that hardwood, hardware store that would like be accelerants. Do you know what oh, I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I'll yeah. actually, I'll mention it in just a second. Oh, gosh. Sorry. I always get No, no, hard. you're fine. Okay, go ahead. Um, so the four people that died in this fire were 50-year-old Ada Deal. Her two-year-old grandson, Matthew Troidel, 26-year-old Carolyn Krauss, who was a mother of two, I believe, and 17-year-old Jimmy Satina, who was an employee of the hardware store. Oh. It's really sad. That is sad. Fire investigators descended on this scene the next day. We have to figure out what's going on here. Um, the investigation determined really quickly that the fire spread within five minutes of starting. Holy like it, cow. it burst. Yeah. And it spread because of all the highly flammable, like you said, yeah. polyurethane products in the hardware store. Yeah. Um, like paint, right? Wouldn't paint yeah. be a part of that? The things uh, that polyurethane is used in is insulation, sealants, Coatings, kitchen appliances, adhesives, and gloss finishes. Wow. So like the whole hardware store. Wow. So what happened was these polyurethane products, the the vast amount of them caused a very quick flashover. I bet. So just for our listeners, um, because uh, I don't know. One of you guys may not have watched Ladder 99 or Chicago Fire or I think 911 is the newest fire show. Or Backdraft way before that, that movie. That is so funny because I mentioned Backdraft later. Oh my gosh. Backdraft scared the shit out of me as a kid. Like, I will, we'll talk about it okay, when I get to okay, it because okay. that is so funny because I bring it up later. Okay. Oh, wait, really quick. Did you know that fire is one of my biggest fears because oh, really? of, the, of the fires that we had to be evacuated from every year from my grandparents' house oh, and really? watching Backdraft and the episode of the Hogan's family that Jason Bateman was in when he was a little kid and they leave a light on in the attic and their house burns down. Yeah. Terrified. Go ahead. And um, this is us. I think yes. there's an episode. Uh-huh. I haven't watched it, so don't tell me. Uh, I it's watched on This my Is list. Us for like the uh, half of the first season, and then I lost interest. But yeah, there is a fire. Anyways, I've keep heard going. there's a, a scary, a yeah, really sad episode. With it fire. is, it is. Um. Anyway, for all of you guys who are not uh, familiar with this, a flashover is, um, it's a fire term that is a rapid event marked by a sudden and significant increase in fire growth and development. Okay. To put that in like visual terms, this is that big cinematic moment when uh, the fire explodes out the windows and the glass shatters and the huge pillar leaps into the sky. That really does happen in fires. Yeah. Uh, And that is the flashover. Okay. You don't want to be anywhere near a fire during a flashover. 
Uh, it's actually part of firefighter training is to teach them how to recognize when a flashover is imminent uh-huh. because they need to get the fuck out. Okay. So, unfortunately, these four people were in the building when Gosh. the flashover occurred and they did not make it. How terrifying. Yeah. Um, so, fire investigators came to a unanimous decision that this was just a horrific accident due to electrical issues. Except one particular arson investigator disagreed with all the rest of them. Hmm. John Leonard Orr was vocal and expressed his frustration that everyone else was ignoring him because he said this fire was deliberate and it was the work of an arsonist. Oh, wow. So a little bit about John. Growing up, John had always dreamt of joining the police force, except when John took the test to get in, he failed the entrance exam. Oh, that sucks. I've actually heard this a couple of times for police and firefighters. Yeah, that it's it's a difficult um, exam and not everyone passes. Well, not just that, but they'll they'll have their mind set on one and they end up switching gears and going to the other. What do you mean? Like if they if they do pu- firefighting and then they like um actually a really good example is the podcast small town dicks yeah i think one either dan or dave one of the two of them originally wanted to be a firefighter and then ended up being a policeman oh interesting i wonder what makes them switch they're so similar they're both serving the public. They're both hero roles. They're both I think it's, putting their lives in danger. They're I think both. it's really easy to substitute one for the other. And that's what John ended up doing. He failed the entrance exam to the police force. So he changed gears and he joined the fire department instead. Oh, well, good for him. He worked his way up and became the fire captain of the Glendale Fire Department. So he was doing real good. Oh, so Glendale is a small city just outside of L.A. It may as well actually be L.A. because L.A. kind of like curves up and around it from like the south around to the north, too. Uh-huh. So it's just a very small subsection just outside of like um, the Hollywood section of L.A. OK. As fire marshal and fire captain... Uh, John was considered an absolute expert by his peers. One source said that he would show up at the scene of the fire and just stand there observing the burning building and like stroke his mustache. Oh, and then, weird. And then he would just point to a specific section of the building and be like, that's where it started. That's like, uh, what, what do you call it? Um, Sherlock Holmes, where he oh, could, yeah. like, and I'm sure this was dramatized for TV, but I watched the series Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch, mm-hmm. but, like, he would, like, look at a person and the in really seconds. really analytical mind. Yeah, and in seconds, an, like, know the answer. And yeah. so that's probably, this guy probably had that, Because he's too. seeing the details that other people are not seeing. Uh-huh, that's pretty cool, though. So it was just... Everyone knew and more often than not, he was absolutely right. That is where the fire started and they would see how it started from there. Yeah. He was known for his uncanny ability to determine the cause of deliberate arson as well as why flames erupted the way they did. So he was able to find the cause of the original fire and also what made them spread so quickly. Yeah. 
So you have this guy, this expert, who is telling you that this hardware store is an arson. I would probably listen to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, they didn't. They ruled it an accident. <sighs> Soon after this, though, more and more fires start cropping up in the greater L.A. area. What's interesting, actually, is one of these fires destroyed a Warner Brothers set where oh. the TV show The Waltons was filmed. Oh. Which is um, old. It's a very yeah. old show. Yeah, it is. I mean, my dad made me watch it as a kid because we watched Hallmark Channel and AMC all the time. But <laughs> the Hallmark Channel. Oh, God. Investigators very quickly suspected that these fires were being set by the same individual because this particular arsonist would use a very specific type of time delayed incendiary advice device. That's a really fancy way of saying that this dude would take a lit cigarette and attach it to a couple of matches with a rubber band and then leave it somewhere so that it would burn down with enough time for him to get away. Oh. So calling it a time-delayed incendiary device is just real fancy, but that's the technical term for it. But they found this device at all of these fires. So really easy to tell, like, hey, this is the same guy setting all of them. Obviously. I mean, I could even tell that. So he would choose linen stores with the device left behind to ignite linen pillowcases specifically because they would catch fire very quickly. And the inside of the pillows, like that stuff's highly flammable. And it would spread very quickly and would cause a ton of damage. So are we talking about like department stores or? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So in the linen area, he would place this. And craft stores. Yeah. Um, Craft stores. Yeah. So due to the propensity to choose these types of stores, investigators dubbed him the pillow pyro. The pillow pyro. That is what he was named. Okay. Okay. Uh, He also evolved in such a way that he would, uh, really similar to what you were saying earlier, he would go and he would set small fires in a grassy hill area to draw firefighters out to the middle of nowhere. And then he would set the fire in the department store so that all the firefighters were already far away and busy when these fires set in the department stores. Uh And so no one would be there to stop them. Weird. Smart. I guess, yeah. Like devious, right? I mean, and well thought out, too. This wasn't like, uh, hey, I think I'm going to do this. This was like... No, this was very planned. Like, I'm going to get them over there so that I can come over here and I'm going to ruin this. Yeah, it was awful. So our resident expert, John Orr, was involved with the investigation team. Due to his proximity in Glendale, which, like I said, is right outside of L.A., He was directly involved with many of the arson investigations um, from these fires. Okay. With his keen eye, like I said, he was almost always able to point to the point of origin of the fire. And often he ended up being the one that ended up giving like interviews to news crews who were filming the footage. 
he would give interviews to um, various news agencies, different newspapers. He actually wrote a couple of articles over the years that these fires were happening, just uh-huh. really reassuring the public that they knew that these were connected. They were gathering evidence. They would catch this person. So he kind of became like the face of this. Okay. Um, in January 1987, there was, I didn't know, that, I mean, I don't know why I didn't know this was a thing, but there was an arson investigator convention an ar- in Fresno, <laughs> California. An arson investigator. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing either. There's a, a convention or for a, everything. Or even like there's a Comic Con now for everything, right? Like there's an anime con and a Comic Con. And a crime con. Speaking of, there's a Pacific Northwest crime con in Auburn, Washington (gasps) in October next year. We need to go. Um, I am waiting for them to open up for exhibitors. Oh my gosh, that would be fun. It would be fun. Okay, go on. Um, So Fresno is about three hours north of Los Angeles. Okay. During this convention... There was an unusual numbers of number of fires around Fresno and around Bakersfield, which is about halfway between L.A. and Fresno. Okay. So something about Los Angeles and yeah. Fresno. There, this is weird. There's a lot of fires. This guy is, at this point, he's just flat out taunting the arson investigators. You yeah. Can tell. Yeah. This uh, it kind of started with a double fire um, in Bakersfield, I believe, that there was a drugstore that caught on fire on one side of the street, and literally across the street, a fabric store was on fire, and both stores are just burning to the ground right across the street from each other. Oh, there were a lot. There were more drugstores, fabric shops, craft stores that went on fire. Just in the area around Bakersfield and Fresno and that same signature device of the cigarette rubber banded to a couple of matches was found at most of these fires. Yeah. And like I said, it sounds like whoever was setting the fires knew about the convention and was just purposely doing this to Just mock. to kind of, yeah, egg Because they were like, hey, you got a whole building full of you guys. Yeah, exactly. Can Who's you figure this it? out? Yeah. It, crazy I, it's so weird how like narcissistic these guys are. i know yeah well because they really think they're not gonna get caught and they're too good oh, and, yeah. and some of them are they're good and yeah. they don't get caught yeah so bakersfield fire captain marvin casey actually thought it could be one of the arson investigators at the convention that was setting these fires interesting He didn't have any proof. It was just kind of a gut feeling like the fact that this is happening when this convention is happening and it's happening in the route between L.A. and Fresno. Something just kind of like tickled the back of his brain. He was like, this feels strange. Yeah. In March of 1989, there was another arson convention. Now, this is three years after the one that I just mentioned. And this took place in Pacific Grove, California. This is a coastal city. It's a uh, near San Jose. This is five hours north of L.A. So we okay. have L.A. and moving north from there, you have Bakersfield, Fresno, then Pacific Grove. Okay. All kind of 
I mean, they're not in a line, but that's how they go. Again, during this convention, there was a suspicious number of fires that broke out between the convention and L.A. Okay. Marvin Casey was the investigator on these fires, and he found the same incendiary device. Again, the cigarette bound to matches. And sometimes it would have like a yellow piece of lined paper wrapped around them, too. Uh-huh. Um, I think... To me, this is probably just something that went around the whole bundle to hide the fact that there was a burning cigarette in there so Uh that if somebody happened to pass by, they wouldn't see it. Okay. So this time, for the first time ever, he was able to get some actual evidence. There was a partial fingerprint on the device. Oh. So he followed his suspicions. He thought this was an arson investigator from the area. And so he took an attendee list from the convention in 86 and the Uh convention in 89 and he compared them. There were 10 people who were at both conventions. Smart of him to do that. Yeah. Yeah. He got fingerprints from all 10 of them to compare to his partial print. Unfortunately, all 10 of them were ruled out. So he's kind of back at square one. Yeah, that would be a bummer. Can you just ask someone for their fingerprint? Like, hey, can I get your fingerprints? And they just give it to you? Or can you like... I mean, you can't force them. Uh Uh-huh. But I feel like in this case, when he's going, hey, I'm investigating a fire and I want to rule you out. Yeah, then people would be like, yeah. And think about this. If this is an arson investigator that's doing this, he's going to be cocky enough that he thinks... I didn't leave anything behind. Sure, take my prints. Yeah, yeah. So in late 1990 to early 1991, another series of fires cropped up in the L.A. metro area. At this point, these fires have been going on for six, seven years. So they put together a task force and it was named the Pillow Pyro Task Force. (laughs) Pillow Pyros. (laughs) That's funny. Uh. Tom Camposano was one of the members on this task force. He ended up attending a meeting of the Fire Investigators Regional Strike Team, which is known as FIRST. Okay. Um, This is a group formed by smaller cities around L.A. County that didn't have their own dedicated staff of arson investigators it kind of sounds like it was a pool of investigators that were like loaned between various small agencies. Okay. So he went to a meeting of theirs because he printed out a bunch of flyers um, describing the modus operandi of the pillow pyro. The what? What? What the what? Modus the... operandi? ML? Uh, oh. Did what? you not know that's what it stands for? Are you fucking kidding me right now? I thought M.O. was just like motto. (laughs) No. (laughs) Like, you know how, do you know how how states like are are, are abbreviated to two letters? I, I thought. All of our listeners just viewed their cars off the road. Someone probably just rear-ended totally, the person in front of them. I totally thought, yeah, is that is that their MO? Like, you know, their Meredith motto? Just fell off the <laughs> treadmill. 
Julie, oh Julie is like going, why am I friends with her? My cousin is probably like, are we related? <laughs> Jane probably just sent me a text Jane, message. Jane's, Jane is probably <laughs> offended at the fact that I am a human being right now. <laughs> oh my God. I just have to share with everyone that Jane categorized Kat as um, chaotic good. And I think I agree. <laughs> I think she's going to take me down a notch from chaotic, uh, not the brightest bulb in the box. Yeah, this whole time I've been living a lie. I I thought that M.O. was short for motto. (laughs) I had no idea. Modus operandi. This is like the time I told everyone I was 5'7", and I'm clearly not. And I like... (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I need to repeat some of that, because we just... (laughs) To refresh everyone's memory. Moving on. Sorry, guys. this meeting (laughs) with flyers. (laughs) Because right now, L.A. County is the like. LA, Los Angeles, and Glendale, obviously, yeah, are the ones that are focusing on this. But with the how many fires there have been, this task force was thinking there have to be other fires in other jurisdictions that we don't know about. Yeah. So Tom goes to this meeting to give them flyers that have the modus operandi. Yes, the, the MO. Pyro. Yeah, yes. of course. I'm familiar. <laughs> so that they could spread the word and just get more awareness out about this. Okay. What's interesting is this is just happenstance that a member of the California State Fire Marshal's office was at that meeting. Oh. That state representative knew about the fires in Fresno and Bakersfield. Okay. And he said, there's an arson investigator over in Bakersfield named Marvin Casey. I think you need to talk to him. So the whole thing here is Los Angeles is in Los Angeles County. Bakersfield is in Kern County. Okay. So they would not have known about these fires happening in two different counties if this state fire marshal was not at this meeting oh tony says yeah great he grabs two of his colleagues from the task force and they go and they meet with marvin casey okay marvin gave them a copy of the partial pink fingerprint he had that he had found on that incendiary advice device i keep saying incendiary advice and i i can't it's yeah i'm yeah. sorry no it's okay i mean there's that's no your, at the end of dublin yeah well that's your mo so anyways um <laughs> fingerprint technology had improved since the fingerprint was originally found and on april 17th 1991 the fingerprint was matched to john Orr, oh. our expert arson investigator okay John Orr was one of the 10 people who had given (gasps) his fingerprints and he had originally been ruled out. My goodness. So now an intense investigation begins on John. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, ATF, put a tracker on his car because they wanted to try and catch him, this tracker, in the same place as a fire being set. Yeah. But they didn't want to put a tail on him because that's obvious. Well, and plus, he, I think he would figure that out, too, right? 
Well, in May of 1991, John found the tracker on his car. Oh, ouch. What John did not know is that they put a second tracking device on his work vehicle. Oh. And by December, investigators got the information they needed when John was conveniently at the scene of one of these suspicious fires. He was just around the area or at like right there? He was right there. The tracking device put him there. Ouch. And this dude, listen to like... He sounds pretty ballsy, by the way. Because it was his work vehicle. Yeah, that's pretty... That's narcissistic right there. Yeah. Yeah. So a federal grand jury handed down an indictment and he was arrested on December 4th, 1991. Okay. When investigators conducted a search of his home, they found a manuscript for a novel that Uh, he had been writing. Let me guess. It was about an arsonist. It was a 350 page book called Points of Origin, Playing with Fire. (laughs) Man, so this guy is truly just like... Oh, he thinks he's the shit. Okay, okay. Okay, so this novel follows the character of Aaron Stiles, an arson investigator and serial arsonist. So we got a little Dexter going on. Oh, my goodness. Aaron Stiles had a specific incendiary device that he preferred. A cigarette and matches held together with a rubber band. Regardless of the circumstantial nature of the novel... Investigators definitely suspected John Orr of being their arsonist after finding this uh, manuscript. Oh, yes, I would too. So John's defense argued vehemently that the novel was just a work of fiction. However, <laughs> excerpts from the book were allowed to be read in the trial. Oh, my and gosh. And they're, kind of, they're damning. I'll read some of them later. Yeah. Specifically, the novel had a description of a specific fire... That took place at a shopping center at a hardware store. Oh, weird. Where four people died. Oh, gosh. Odd. Um, Remember, this is that same fire that experts had in real life ruled an accidental electrical fire. And John was sitting there shouting that it was an arson. Oh, my gosh. He's one of those. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, The novel included details that two of the people that died were a grandmother and her grandson. And so the defense, John has said that he used details from fires that he investigated as inspiration for his book. I think it's in kind of poor taste to use details from a literal murder scene. In in your book for, for entertainment. Yeah. 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 Um, And this is where his defense team actually compared it to the 1991 movie Backdraft. My movie? Yes. I did not know this. Backdraft was written by a firefighter. I think, did I know that? No. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, So they compared it to that. They're like, look at this, this really famous movie. It was written by a firefighter. He used his real life experiences to write the screenplay for this. Yeah. It's just the same thing that John's doing. Except a little different. Really different. Yeah. This book, his uh, his novel, sounds... As I was reading information about this book, all I could think of was the O.J. Simpson, If I Did It. O.J., don't even get me started on that one. 
Yeah, but that's what it reminded. It just sounds yeah. a little too much like if I did it. Yeah. Um, his defense team also tried to argue that John had no choice in the matter because he had a compulsion to set fires and he just could not control it. So now they've completely like flip flopped and said, okay, okay, maybe he set the fires, but he couldn't control it. He's not guilty. I can't believe they even thought that that that's something that would fly. The def- I'm going to read a quote from the novel. Okay. That the defense read in court. Okay. And I want you to think of this. Remember, the defense reads this thinking it's going to help them. Okay. Okay. And uh, in the book, Cal's is the name of the hardware store. Okay. Okay. Aaron wanted the Cal's fire to be called arson. He loved the inadvertent attention he derived from the newspaper coverage and hated it when he wasn't properly recognized. Continuing on, quote, the deaths were blotted out of his mind. It wasn't his fault. Just stupid people acting as stupid people do. Oh, my God. The defense is using this? Yes. Oh, my God. I don't. I don't understand how they thought this would help. Are they dumb? Like, I don't see how you would even think that would remotely help your client. I, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, this book is literally just one big confession. That's so good. Honestly. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what it is. And I think if I was their defense, that's not something that I would read to the jury. I don't know if they were trying to, I didn't see any details on this, but I don't know if they're trying to be like, look what he wrote. Real people don't think this. This just proves that it's fake. Or do you think that he was saying that like, if, if he was guilty, like, do you think he would be dumb enough to like, do you know what I'm saying? I think it's a mix of that. Yeah. Do you think he'd be dumb enough to write this? And also he fictionalized this character to be an asshole. Like that's not him. Yeah. That's just so weird. There was also a part in the novel that had a really unusually specific detail. In the novel, John wrote that the grandmother had been planning on taking her grandson out for mint chocolate chip ice cream after they were done at the hardware store. It's a very weird detail. Yeah. It turns out it was absolutely true. How did he know that? The woman's husband, the boy's grandfather, was at the hardware store with them. He had barely made it out. Unfortunately, his wife and grandson did not. And the the grandmother had been saying out loud that, like, we'll go get ice cream after we're done here. Which means John had to have been in earshot. Yeah, in there listening. Why would he put that specific detail in there? Because he thinks he's not going to get caught. Right. So the jury deliberated and they concluded that John was an unimaginative novelist who used details from his crimes in his book. Well, he was guilty. Thank you. Yeah. So John was indicted on eight counts and he took a plea bargain. Okay. And pled guilty to three of those counts in March 1993. He would be eligible for parole in 2002 and he was ordered to pay 90000 in restitution, oh, which is wow. about 170000 now. That's not a lot. Yeah, that seems like nothing for the amount of damage. Especially for the amount of damage and the lives that were lost. Then he went on to federal trial. 
So that first one, that's a plea bargain. Yeah. Now he's going to federal trial. Okay. And so what happened there? He was indicted on five counts of arson and convicted of three. Good. The judge sentenced him to three consecutive 10-year terms in prison, which means one after the other, not all at the same time. Good. Then he went on trial in California State Court. Oh, wow. They're just hitting him in all branches. Holy moly. On June 26, 1998, they found him guilty of four counts of first-degree murder for that hardware store fire. Uh-huh, yeah. They also found him guilty of 24 additional counts of arson. Oh, wow. One of those 24 fires destroyed 67 homes. Holy moly. Yeah. God. So The destruction this guy created is insane. Right? So the death penalty was on the table here because first degree murder. Well, of course. His daughter, Lori, testified on his behalf. And a lot of people believe that her testimony is what prevented him from getting the death penalty. Oh. Because when the jury went to go deliberate on whether or not to give him the death penalty, they deadlocked eight to four. They could not agree. And a death penalty recommendation has to be unanimous. Okay. So instead, the judge sentenced him to life in prison plus 20 years without the possibility of parole. I mean, at this point, with all of his other convictions, like, does it even matter? Say he gets one of them appealed and overturned. Oh, okay. Yeah, then he would still have the other one. Yeah. Okay. So this sentence of life plus 20 would start after he was done serving those 30 years in federal prison. Wow. So following John Orr's arrest, arson investigators determined that brush fires in L.A. decreased by 90%. Wow. So was he just the one and only doing it? An ATF agent said that based on all of his analysis... He believes that John sent nearly 2,000 fires between 1984 and 1991. Jeez. Right? That is crazy. So John's book was published somehow in 2002 while he was serving time in prison. Um, true crime author Joseph Wombaugh, uh-huh. who um, I actually have one of his books that I'm reading for a case right now. Um so he's, I'm sure most of our, uh, our listeners have to know him. I didn't know him before I grabbed this other book. But he read this novel in his research for a book he wrote about Joseph Orr. Joseph wrote in his book, the main character, Aaron, states that setting fires was more exciting than sex. <laughs> and I'm going to end on this quote because this cracked me up so in joseph joseph's book he wrote about the manuscript yeah he wrote you couldn't find that many erections at the playboy mansion on <laughs> new year's eve oh my gosh <laughs> oh wow so uh joseph Orr is going to be in prison for a long long time when with no fires in prison and maybe some he is probably just 
having a miserable existence? Well, I do think, though, arsonists have to get off on... It depends. I think there are four different types of arsonists, and I believe only one of them um, gets gratification out of their fires. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know there were four types. I know there's... I'm pretty sure it's four types. Um, There are seven main motives for setting fires for being an arsonist the first is pyromania and i believe that one is the one it's fascination with fire and i think that usually has a sexual motivation to it Uh uh-huh um two is revenge oh you're getting back at someone okay three is vandalism you're just a stupid person doing stupid things because you like to see that you just are stupid yeah four is insurance fraud oh uh-huh. five is welfare fraud six is uh the psycho fire setter according to this uh office of justice programs i have no idea what that is i've literally never heard of that before okay i'm sorry to our listeners i'm literally doing research as we're recording <laughs> um and the seventh type is crime concealment oh okay that's interesting. I didn't know there were classified different different arson, but that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and just uh, to note, because this is crazy, revenge accounts for 52.9% of arsons. Oh, wow. Uh, pyromania is 10%. Vandalism is 12 Insurance and welfare fraud combined are 13%. Crime concealment is 3%. And the quote-unquote psycho fire setter uh-huh. um, is 8.7%. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's just, I didn't realize that revenge was yeah, a majority. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that either, but that is interesting. Yeah, so I just thought this is different. Um, yeah. And very interesting. It's crazy to see. And now, now that we know this information about John Orr, looking back, he wasn't an expert he knew where the fire started because he's the one who fucking set up. Exactly. That's what I, I'm like, what? And just what an idiot to include all of this, though, in a... In a novel. In a novel. Yeah, that's what is weirding me out. Like, I mean, clearly this guy thought he was going to get away with it. and He was getting away with it for a long time. Exactly. So why would you pull something that stupid unless you just like think too highly of yourself that well there's no way you think you're gonna get caught well that quote from the book that said that he could not stand being recognized maybe just all the reporting on the arson yeah he wanted wasn't enough anymore he needed like something he needed people to read the details of the fire yeah yeah. And he had to do it in such a way that posed as, you know, this is just a book. It's fiction. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. I heard that in, um, actually, I don't remember what episode it was, but I was listening to Crime Countdown, and uh-huh. that was one of the crimes they mentioned. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. So I dug a little deeper. Well, there you go. That is interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I hope oh. everyone enjoyed it. This was a, a little shorter. I'm still kind of research burnt out. Oh, yeah, from Miss um, Darley. Yep. Yeah, that was a a heavy one. 
Yeah. I still think about that one. She haunts me. Yeah. <laughs> she haunts me too. Yeah. I actually, I, ha- I did receive messages from someone who said that um, they're now, they're questioning her guilt. Uh, they were one of those people who were staunch. She did it. I don't care what you say. And after listening to the three episodes, she said, you know, I, I'm not so sure anymore. Wow. So look at me. There you go. Look at you. (laughs) (laughs) It's your turn next week. Yay. I'm excited. Still don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm sure it's a good one. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. And I will see you next week. And And I will see see everybody next week. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye. Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.